What is your favorite kind of bread? I'd love to know, just put it in the comments. Do you have a favorite kind of roll? Is it a biscuit? Is it sourdough? My favorite kind of bread is naan. My favorite kind of food is uh, Indian food. And this naan bread, it's flat, it's soft. When it's warm, oh my goodness, garlic naan, there's cheese naan. And you break this bread and you, you dip it in curry sauce and all kinds of chutney and it soaks up the flavors. And I was thinking about bread because I've been mostly gluten-free for about 10 years now. So bread is a big deal to my life. And I was thinking about even naan and how it's broken and how for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus, when he took the bread in his hands and he broke it, it became a symbol of something so much more became a symbol of Jesus's life that was broken and poured out for us and how bread in Jesus' hands becomes something absolutely spectacular, not common, but our lives like bread in Jesus' hands can become something holy, precious. But this week I want to talk to you about the broken parts of our lives. And as we go through life, as we encounter challenges, as we encounter this, the brokenness of our world, it's like we can get ripped and torn and broken. But as I was thinking about Indian food, as I often do, I was thinking about these conversations we've been having and remembering that, that when you break naan, it's the broken pieces of the bread that soak up the deliciousness of the food. And I've been playing around with that, with that idea in my head that what if it's the broken pieces of our lives that soak up God's grace? What if it's the very broken nature of our lives that are the most receptive to God's grace, God's healing, and, and the wholeness of God? And brokenness uh, when it comes to the Bible, too, like the word, the concept comes up and brokenness and just our normal everyday English is a tricky word because it can refer to our, our frailty. It could refer to our humanness in general. Uh, brokenness, it's our earthly state. But brokenness also refers to our sin, the things that we do on purpose and the things that we don't mean to do or the sins that happen when we know we should have done something. Uh, brokenness can refer to our shortcomings and failures. Uh, I want to let you know some good news today. Even though you're broken, it's not your fault that you're finite. It's not a sin to be a human and mortal. And I'm not trying to give us an excuse to just give up and say, okay, <laughs> I'm not perfect. I'm just going to let it all go and not try anymore. No, like that's not what I'm talking about at all. Like there is there is an element that that comes with having a healthy relationship with Jesus and a healthy human conscience when we when we miss the mark and when we mess up, there should be a, a sense of, "Oh, I feel bad about that and I want to make it better." When I say it's not your fault that you're finite, and that it's not a sin to be mortal, I'm talking about the toxic nature of shame, like the deep, dark shame, the things that we think about uh, when, when we've messed up that are unhealthy. Whenever you say, I am just always going to 
fill in the blank, or I am just a low down, dirty, no good, I'll never amount. No, those things aren't true. And that's what I'm talking about today. That toxic shame uh, that happens uh, as a result of our brokenness. And we have examples in scripture. Uh, The Apostle Paul talked about his journey with brokenness and how he actually would talk to God about it and say, God, please take this away from me. He referred to it as a thorn in his flesh. And after time, after time of saying, God, take this away from me, take this broken piece out of my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, now Paul says, each time he, meaning God, said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. So that the power of Christ can work through us. If I were to put this in my own words, I would say that that Paul is talking about brokenness and saying, you know what, guys? Weak is the new strong. So many of us, we try to uh, try to put a mask on or hide our weakness, uh, weakness, hide, hide our faults and failures. And Paul's saying, I'm human. I'm going to mess up. And the difference between me and everyone else who's not following God is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in the light and I'm going to put it out there. Not to brag about, look at all these things I've done or look at all my brokenness, but say, Here's my brokenness. I've given it to God and I'm experiencing grace here. I'm experiencing healing here. I'm experiencing uh, reconciliation and relationships here. Like That's a beautiful way to live. Instead of wondering when people are going to find out that you're a fraud. Instead of wondering when people are going to find out that you're a big mess up. Newsflash. People already know in your life that you're a mess up. People already know our faults and failures. The difference for us Jesus followers is we don't try to put a mask on and hide them. People have been broken since the beginning of time. If you study ancient history and even in archaeology, I'm learning that humanity has always wrestled with this topic and dynamic of brokenness. Guys, it's been broken for a long time. The, one of the oldest archaeological digs in the whole world is called the Gobkli Tepe. I'm probably murdering the pronunciation. Gobekli, that's what it is. Gobekli Tepe. And it's in, it's in Turkey, and it's one of the oldest archaeological sites, kind of a city and a town, uh, village type thing. And in there, it includes a site for worship. And as they started excavating further and further out, there was the equivalent of a suburb, a smaller village to this bigger village. And those include smaller sites for worship. So right now, one of the oldest things that we found on the planet that humans have made is a site for worship. A site where humans were were attempting to, to, to wrestle with their brokenness, offering up sacrifices to some sort of, of deity that, that, that we found uh, tens of thousands of animal remains in there. So they were making animal sacrifices, trying to appease some sort of precocious god, hoping that the gods weren't angry with them, hoping that these forces would, would send rain for their crops, safety for their village, uh, blessings for their personal lives. And as we read through history, we see a lot of creation myths 
especially in the Near East. And some people take a look at those and see similarities between our scriptural account of our creation story with other ones like, like Gilgamesh and, and, and a whole bunch of them. And people say, oh, the Bible's just a copy. And that's why I don't believe. And, and if that's where you're at, I'm, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to talk about some of this. Uh, the, this dynamic that, that lots of folks were, were trying to wrestle with their brokenness, trying to, to start some sort of path towards healing. And then we get the story of Israel. And the story of Israel, though it has some similar elements, I want to point out today that, that this story of Israel is different and it's different on purpose. First and foremost, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, was the only God that you need to talk to. Didn't need to talk to this deity or that deity. No, hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one, it says in Deuteronomy. It's just God, and that God is at work and moving in this world, and that God cares about you and me. Much different than other creation stories that you would find in ancient cultures or, or even these days. Israel's story was different in another way, that the God of Israel wasn't fundamentally angry. He gets angry, but the God that we serve is love. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This God, it, as, at its core, you want to know what love is? It's God, true, pure, good, and right love. So much different. What a contrast to the other human-created gods, just precocious and using humans at their whim to do their, their dirty work. And because God is compassionate and gracious, totally forbade human sacrifices. There's this uh, story in there that at first reading looks disturbing about Abraham and his, old, his son Isaac. And God says, uh, tests Abraham. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, but God forbids it. God stops it. The whole point of the story is saying, no, do not sacrifice your children. Do not sacrifice your son. That is not for you, and that's not how you gain my favor. God is different than any, any human-created God, any God we could dream up, unlike any we've ever known, a, a perfect father, unlike any we've ever known. And I've been saving this to last. This is the good part. The God of Israel specifically provided a ceremony for the removal of guilt. That's what we've been talking about, how we wrestle with our brokenness, how we talk about ourselves, thinking about ourselves. And, and there was this specific ceremony, and it was called the Day of Atonement. And here in the ceremony, you can read about it in the scriptures, there's two goats, one is sacrificed, but in the presence of all the people, one of these goats, the, the priest would, would lay hands on the goat and all the sins of the people were transferred. All the guilt and shame of the people was transferred towards this goat. It was called a scapegoat and it was led out of the camp and, and, and released into the wilderness. And it was this this cultural, ceremonial, religious thing of, of showing people that, that God takes away the sins, 
that God heals the brokenness and we don't have to walk with our heads down. We don't have to walk continue, walk around continually beating ourselves up. This is a picture of God sparing people from judgment and punishment. Psalm 32 verse 1 said, says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. So even, even in the brokenness of our own sin, we can find the blessing that removes guilt. I don't know, maybe you've had the experience of, of, of talking to someone who knows God, someone that you trust, and you've confessed your sin to that person and said, oh, this happened and I just, oh, I feel horrible about it and I, I want to make it right. And, and in the course of that conversation, the, this person reminds you that God's mercies are new every morning. This person reminds you that God loves you, that, that God's not done with you. I've had that done with me, and oh my goodness, the, the weight that it releases is there's nothing like it. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So we've, we've gone on a wild journey from Indian food to, uh, to archaeology in Turkey, and then, and then how, our, how our God is different from other Near Eastern gods. But I wanted to set up how, how God has been moving humanity and, and showing us what he's like and, and the road away from guilt and shame and how to deal with our own brokenness. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. We're purified because of what Jesus has done. When, when we turn over control of our life to Jesus, we have access to this. We have a new story. The slate is wiped clean. And I love that part in there where it says, purify our conscience. We don't have to walk around with our head down. We've not only been given a clean slate, we've been given a new identity. We're spiritually, it's like adopted into God's family. We're called sons and daughters of the living God because of what Jesus has done. And so his body was broken. His blood was poured out for all of us. This God is different. This God is so, so far beyond the ways of this world and what the ways of this world says we need to do to survive and what we need to do to get ahead. This God models serving. This God models suffering. Models uh, how to have a redeeming posture towards the world, people, our culture. This God goes around healing. This God is gracious. So thinking about brokenness in our lives, thinking about, seriously, thinking a lot about Indian food, it also reminded me of this, this Japanese art of kintsugi. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Uh, it's called golden joinery. And it's this art, very old art form, of, of taking a broken pot and basically gluing it back together with a golden liquid resin kind of thing that, that results in something that's actually more valuable and more beautiful than the original. 
Something that's broken can be put back together and be increased in beauty and valuable. Am I talking to anybody right now? Come on. Where is the brokenness in your life? Is it from frailty? Is the brokenness in your life from failure? Is the brokenness in your life due to some sort of sin? We all have brokenness in our life. Don't let shame turn your brokenness into fracture that stays that way. Jesus is even more skilled than the most skilled artist at putting a life back together with his golden grace. So, but when we let shame make us hide, when we let shame make us deny that we even have a problem or deny that brokenness is, is in our life, that's the path to disintegration, like a broken pot, like a broken piece of bread. Disintegration is the path to death. Don't hide from God. I, I'm hoping that God's spirit is speaking to you right now and putting his finger on, okay, I want that piece. Let me come into this area of your life. You need to experience some grace here. And a lot of times our first response is, oh, that hurts. Don't touch it. Like a, like a child hiding from, from a parent who's trying to get a splinter out. We've all done that, and a lot of us have, have hidden from it and have, have chased someone around going, I, I need to take this out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you feel better. I trust you. Don't hide your brokenness from God. God sees it, and only God is the one who can put you back together so you can walk in what the Bible calls peace. The Hebrew word for it is shalom, and it's way more than just the absence of conflict. It's perfect unity and harmony and oneness with God. There was a, a woman, a broken woman in Jesus' day. There's a well-known story. She had this ongoing physical condition that doctors couldn't treat. She'd spent all of her money <laughs> trying to, to figure out the, the solution to her physical ailment. This woman with the issue of blood. And it had social and religious ramifications. Uh, there would have been a lot of shame involved in this. A lot of thoughts of I'm less than because of this. But this woman didn't hide her brokenness from God. She believed the story that, that came around. The, there's this one verse in Micah that says, when the son of righteousness comes, there will be healing in his wings. And people in Jesus' day envisioned the prayer cloaks that they would wear and how in the synagogue, the rabbis would hold their prayer shawl out as they said the priestly blessing. And the legend was that when the Messiah comes, if you touch the, the hem of, of Messiah's prayer shawl, you'll be healed. They were taking that verse quite literally. So this woman who would have been, it would have been like much more socially acceptable for her to stay out of the crowd, for her to watch from the background. She's broken. She's less than. She needs to just stay on the periphery of all these kinds of events. But there was this crowd around Jesus and she pressed through them. She, she didn't settle for just watching. She reached out and touched Jesus, and she was healed. But that's not the end. Jesus goes, I just felt some power leave me. Which, for those of you Star Wars fans, I'm sure you absolutely love that. Like, what is, he felt power leave him? He said, who touched me? And she came forward. Instead of staying hidden, 
Instead of just running away, she didn't let her, her brokenness hold her back. The Bible says this, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she had been healed instantly. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There it is. Shalom. Go in peace. She challenges us today. She challenges our our conceptualization of, of, of Jesus. She challenges our conception of the God of the Bible, the one true God. Is this the kind of God that we have to hide our brokenness from? That we have to pretend like we have it all together? Or is this the God that we can go to and touch and trust with our brokenness? To tell our story to, to trust with the direction of our life and the outcome of our life. She challenges us today to reach out. Whatever your brokenness is, maybe it's a trusted friend that knows God, not just about God. Maybe it's reaching out to a pastor saying, this is what's going on in my life. I need, I need some coaching. I need some prayer. I need a friend along on the journey that will remind me that God is with me. Maybe it's reaching out to a counselor. Or maybe, maybe for you, reaching out to Jesus is to pray for the courage to stop hiding. No more hiding the brokenness. Wherever that is, wherever you find yourself on that, on that scale, on the, in, in that little map, a brokenness map, I'm praying that you understand that when you turn control over to Jesus, all of your life, all of your thoughts, all of your actions, all of your relationships, Jesus does wipe the slate clean. And there's no more reason where you have to, have to walk around with guilt and shame because God looks at you and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And so reach out this week. And I'm serious, if you don't have anyone to reach out to, uh, anyone in your, in your circle of life, reach out to us here. We would love to be that reminder of what God says about you and that reminder of who God says you are. And every time we meet together like this, I pray this, this priestly blessing. It's from the book of Numbers. Um, and uh, I'm going to do it again today, but I wanted to give you some background like this priestly blessing that I pray over you. It used to be a petition to God. May the Lord bless the people. May the Lord keep them. But because of what Jesus has done, it's a proclamation of what Jesus has done for you. And it's now true of you. If you've turned over control of your life to Jesus, if, if you're a Jesus follower, this isn't like some hope that's happened. And I want you to hear that today that this is a proclamation of what God says about you. And if, if you want to read along, it's in Numbers chapter 6, uh, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week.